Chances are you're going to be doing a little shopping in this post-Christmas time frame, and you'll be looking for things that are discounted. But you know, there are things that you have to pay retail for. So have you ever thought about that? What, what, what causes something to be discounted? Because, you know, we, 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 we buy stuff that's discounted, and every once in a while we'll find something on clearance. And if you've ever been in marketing or retail, you understand what clearance means. It means get it out at any cost before we have to do inventory. On the other hand, what, what causes something to be retail? Well, obviously, we know that if it's discounted, either there's something wrong with the product and it has to be marked down because it's got an issue, or there's just so much of it that you need to uh, get rid of it. On the other hand, something is at retail because there's value there that is, is settled. And beyond that, every once in a while, we actually wind up having to pay a bonus for a product. I remember reading Forbes or one of those magazines, and a few years ago, there was an automobile, new automobile model that came out. And when, you went, when someone went to buy one of these automobiles, they had to plunk down an extra $1,000 above manufacturer, manufacturers' suggested retail price. Why would you pay more for something than is retail? Well, there are only a couple of answers for that. Number one, perhaps the item was worth more than the manufacturer thought it was when they put it out for marketing. Or it's just so rare that supply and demand forces us to pay more than even retail price. And if there's so small supply and so much demand, then it can actually go to the place where there's a bidding war for the product. Well, you guys know clearly I'm not here to talk to you about automobiles or clothes or houses. I'm here to talk to you about our lives. And every day of our lives, you and I walk into the marketplaces of life. And, I'm not, and I'll tell you this several times, and so I'll try not to be redundant, but I'm not talking primarily here about money. I'm talking about the personal value that leads to special opportunities. We walk into the marketplaces of life. For instance, we walk into the career marketplace, and we walk in with a value, either discounted, retail, maybe bonus. Or we go to the marketplace of finding a mate in life. We're looking for that special person to spend our lifetime with, and a lot will depend upon whether we are a person who is discounted, marked down for clearance, or a person of retail, or a person of value. We're all looking for advancement. We're looking for uh, the ability to garner or, or, or draw to us a group of friends who are excellent people who will help us achieve great things. And as we go into these marketplaces of life, as I said, everything is going to come down to our value as a person. And, and one more time, I'm not talking about f money here. It's just that life is not like the YMCA where everybody gets a trophy. And it wasn't meant to be that way. There are people of value who get special opportunities. I want to just take a moment at the beginning of this talk today and ask the question, to, to any, is there any of us here who feel discounted in life? Because if you do feel discounted in life, you can fall into the traps of the marketing traps of the discounted. You know, in marketing, if something has to be discounted, then the retailers will do things in order to get the product sold. They'll throw in freebies. And some of you are doing that. You're in the dating scene, and you feel discounted as a person. And when it comes to sex, you're throwing in freebies. You don't want to do it. It's something that makes you feel devalued, but because you feel that your value is diminished, you're throwing in freebies. Or maybe you're saying things to people that you really don't believe, but you just are saying things in the hopes that they will, they will like you. You're throwing in freebies. Or it could be that you'll take another tactic, which is to cover up the flaws in, in the hopes that people will buy. 
We're in the process of looking for a house right now. My dad passed away last July, and, and we're going to move my mom in with us. And we, we live in a nice house, but it's pretty small. And, and when we moved into this house seven years ago, I told Mary Alice, the next time I move, I want the funeral director to come pick up my cold, dead body. That, that is the next time I want to move away. That's how much I hate moving. But we're starting to look around at houses. And one of the things that I discover is that people sometimes will try to cover up the flaw of a house long enough for someone to buy. And sometimes we do that in the marketplaces of life. We have flaws that we cover up. And we hope that people will buy, but then there are always those painful accusations of fraud that we have to deal with later. And if you're a guy, guys a lot of times won't talk about feeling devalued in life. Uh, it's not masculine enough. But what guys often do if they feel devalued in life is to use bluster or high-pressure tactics. You know what? When you go to buy a product that's got a lot of brand equity to it and it's known for quality... The people who market it, they never have to high-pressure their product because the product speaks for itself. But how many of us have dealt with someone who is trying to sell us junk? And in that process, sometimes they'll use high-pressure tactics. And I see guys that do that. They will try to throw their weight around or bluster or use high-pressure. Well, I hope that that will never happen with you. Because I want to take a few moments to ask the question today, what is it that causes a person to be discounted in life, and what is it that causes a person to be bonus? Because I'm guessing for a lot of us, it's not what we think it is. See, some of you feel discounted because you don't feel as attractive as you would like to be. And so you do some of the things that we talked about because you feel like, if I were more attractive, I might have a bonus on me. When, when really, if you're talking about physical attraction, that's not where it's at. Or it could be that you're saying, I just didn't get the education that I wanted to get. I went to community college. If I had a Harvard MBA or a PhD in economics from Stanford, then I would have value as a person. But every time I walk into the room in the corporate world, I just feel like that I'm, I'm underpowered when it comes to education. But that's not what causes a person to be bonused. I don't know what your thinking is or what my thinking is about what causes us to be devalued or bonused, but I really believe it comes down to one thing that I want to talk to you about today. I believe in every one of our lives there is favor that leads to special opportunities. If you want greatness today, and I'm not talking about being famous or rich, but if you want to achieve greatness today, you and I need to embrace a reality right now at this moment. And, that, and this is very simple. You're not going to do it by yourself. You can't get there by yourself. There, there is no greatness achieved by a single person. You know, I've been here, I'll be here 29 years at, at this church next June. And when I came here, there were like 350 people on the weekend. Today, there's 6,500 6, people on the weekend. And a lot of great things that are happening at New Spring. And every once in a while, someone will say to me, did you ever imagine this? The answer to that question is, yep. When I was a teenager, I imagined it. But here's what I don't know that I clearly understood at that moment. I didn't realize how many people it was going to take to put a team together to make these things come to pass. Obviously, God is responsible. But I'm saying, here's the deal. If you want to see greatness, you're not going to get there by yourself. You're going to have to be able to draw to yourself a team of people so that it is a shared goal and a shared vision. And as a team, greatness can happen. And it only happens if you can walk into the marketplaces of life with a bonus on you. How does that happen? In a world of discounted people, how would you like to start a bidding war? Gosh, guys, I'll tell you what. I feel kind of funny about doing this sermon today. You know what I really should do if I was a smart minister? I would put this at week five or six and tell you that it's coming kind of like the carrot before the horse. 
I am giving you what I think is the quintessential key to success on week two. But the reason why I'm doing this early is you're going to need what you're going to learn today to process what's coming in weeks to come. One day I died in July, and my son, my middle son Jared did a, a video for the memorial services. And when I saw it, there was a scene that was really moving to me. Jared had taken still shots of my parents in, in video, movie footage and, and old 8mm footage. And there was an old scene, a, a video scene, an 8mm scene in, in, the, in the memorial video for my dad that, that meant a lot to me. It was from 1967. And my dad, and you got to be a baby boomer to understand this. I'm sorry if, if, if you're younger. Most of you are. But all you baby boomers are remember this. My dad is standing out in the front yard of my house holding a brand-new gold Stingray bicycle with high-rise handlebars. And I'm an 11-year-old kid, and, and I come running into the scene and jump on the bicycle. I hadn't seen that in years. I don't know how Jared found it in my parents' archives. But I remember that day very well. It was like a week before Christmas and dad, who was always in a hurry to give me my Christmas presents, he said, Mark, I want to give you your present today because it's going to turn cold. I want you to be able to ride your bike in the sunshine. And guys, that's why I'm giving you this message today. I want you to be able to get on your bike and ride in the sunshine. I want to talk to you today about a contest that's going on inside of you. And however that contest resolves, either you're going to have a minus sign by, by you or you're going to have a bonus sign on you. And, and again, it's probably not what you're thinking or what you might be thinking that it is. Real quickly, let me give you an idea about our series. It's called Going Pro. Going Pro because we're looking at the book of Proverbs, God's book of wisdom. And this is a sequel to a series we did three years ago. This one is called Going Pro, the Playoffs. Much of God's book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, is in the form of what we call antithetic parallelisms. It's a big word. Parallelism just means it's two statements side by side that form a single statement. Antithetic means these are op opposing ways of looking at life or opposing ways of life. For instance, you will have the wise person does this, but the foolish person does this. The angry person does this, but the person of self-control does this. That's why I've called this series the playoffs. Because see, here's the thing. You and I have contests that are taking place inside of us. We're like the playoffs. And as the Chiefs discovered last Saturday, only one team can advance. I'm going to talk to you about two ways of life, and you can't have both of them. you got to pick one of them, and one of them's going to go on and play the next week. The other one's going to fall back. So with that in mind, let me talk to you about the two teams today that we're going to introduce, or to me. The first team, I think you're going to know this team very well. There are so many players on this team. It's why people get discounted. And there's just so many, and, there's, and they have so many issues that they're always discounted in life. I don't think you're on this team, but you're going to know people who are on this team. And if you're in management, you're just going to shake your head a whole lot today, okay? Not in disagreement, but just in, rec in recognition. Before I introduce this team to you, let me give you a little bit of background. In 70s, 80s, and 90s, as we watched America grow uh, more permissive and demanding and selfish, we began to see a change in people. We saw it in kids. We saw it in people that we dealt with, that the, you know, dealt, did business with. And we saw it in total strangers. It was just that we didn't know what to call it. It was as if it was an emotional cocktail of three components. Pride or arrogance. Um, rebellion and stubbornness. See, stubbornness, I think, is a catalyst that causes the cocktail to be active. 
I have three sons now, and they, they got so tired of hearing me say this, I'm sure. I always told my boys there were four groups of people in life, or four groups. The first and the best group is the, is the smart and the humble. Smart and humble people can do anything. If you're smart here today and you're humble, sky's the limit. Then group two is dumb and the humble. That's the best I can hope for. <laughs> we're not smart, but we can be humble. And the thing about the dumb and the humble is they're always overachieving. It's like, how did she do that? <laughs> you know, how did he get that job? Well, he's, he's dumb, but he's humble. And, 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 and God will bless those people. I'm so thankful for that. And then group three is the smart and the stubborn. They're always underproducing. They're always wondering why life never works for them because they're smart. But the problem is they're stubborn. But I told my boys, the group four is the one that nobody wants to be on. That's stubborn and stupid. Because <laughs> see, stupid and then stubborn locks it in. And so that's sort of the issue with group one. And, and, and not knowing exactly what to call it, we coined a term for what we were seeing. We called it attitude. Isn't that interesting? We, we took a sort of neutral word and we said, man, he's full of attitude or she's got attitude. And, and I think the reason we didn't know what to call it, it was those three things coming together. Arrogance, rebellion, and stubbornness. Now, we're going to meet this team in Proverbs 9, 7. Actually, we're going to meet both teams in Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 because you have an antithetic parallelism. Let's meet team attitude. The Bible says anyone who, re who rebukes a mocker, that's God's term, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. There we go. Team attitude. Let's meet team two. This is the team that you're on today because, number one, if you had attitude, you'd probably be in a traditional church or you wouldn't be here today. Um, in fact, that you're here ready to hear this message, so I'm guessing you're on this team. Notice the three verbs that frame team two. But correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. To me, you can sum all that up in the word coachable, coachable. That game, that contest is going to play out inside of you, and only one team can advance. You can't be coachable and full of attitude. You're going to have to pick one. And here's the thing. I think all of us are going to have things happen in our life that if we let it, it can, we can let it lead to having attitude. There's going to be injustices that happen. We're going to have disappointments in life. And if we want to, we can develop a crust of attitude. My prayer is that that team loses in your life, and you go on to be a person who is coachable. There's a key verse to the book of Proverbs and definitely to our talk today. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 that says, guard your heart above all else for, look at this, it determines the course of your life. The Bible is telling us our attitude is where it is. It determines the course. If you have attitude, it's going to determine the course of your life because there's going to be a minus sign that's going to accompany you into every marketplace of life. On the other hand, if you choose to be coachable, there's going to be a bonus sign, a plus sign that's going to accompany you into all the marketplaces of life. Okay, let's get on our horse and ride. I want to show you six characteristics from the book of Proverbs about the person with attitude, and then we're going to look at six characteristics of the coachable. Got to tell you this. Uh, I have a friend at New Spring who I think is one of the most brilliant businessmen in the world. He has served in the upper echelons of several corporations. He is an HR genius. And so we were going to have lunch together on Friday, and I told him ahead of time, I said, 
I don't know of anybody who's got more HR experience, more corporations than you do. I'm going to talk about the distinction between having attitude and being coachable. Would you bring with me some of the lessons that you've learned from the corporate world? And I'm going to bring some lessons from Proverbs. Now, listen, this is a fact. Friday, we sat down together and we put our list on the table at the restaurant. It blew my mind how that those lists were so similar, almost identical, and at times word for word. He was coming from the corporate world. I was coming from the book of Proverbs. And so what you're going to learn today is solid gold as we look at the distinction between attitude and coachable. Why do people who are full of attitude have a minus sign beside them in all the marketplaces of life? Let's go into this. Number one, they don't listen to the right people. In every one of our lives, are going to be right people and wrong people. One of the reasons why people with attitude don't listen to the right people is usually right people tell us to go uphill, right? Right people are telling us to discipline ourselves. It's so easy to listen to the people who tell us what we want to hear. I think it starts with parents. I think that one thing about a coachable person is usually from the very beginning, they listen to their parents. I can, if this freaks me out, how can two kids grow up with the same parents and one of them will be full of attitude and the other will be coachable? I don't know the answer to that. Let's read this. Proverbs 13.1, a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. Look at the verb, accepts a person's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. I don't counsel anymore, but I, back in the day I used to, and I remember a family called me several years ago and said, would you talk to our teenage son? He's really having a lot of problems. And so he came in, he sat down in my office, and he folded his arms like this, and clearly he didn't want to be there. I wasn't crazy about being there myself, but in any event, he just like sat down like this, and you could just see his full attitude. So I said, well, help me understand what's going on in your life. And he said, my parents don't understand me. I'm thinking, well, that's the first time I've heard that. Uh, <laughs> I think I said that when I was 16, you know. My parents don't understand me. And then he really got me with this one. He said, my friends are the only people who understand me. My friends have my back. My friends are the only ones who get me. Now, I tried to be gracious and give him what I thought was helpful. Would you like for me to tell you the unvarnished, unfiltered, what I wanted to say to him? I wanted to say to him, your friends are not paying your mortgage payment. They are not paying for the bedroom you sleep in. They are not paying for the clothes on your back. They are not paying for the food that goes in your mouth to keep you alive. According to CNN, it costs $241,000 to raise a kid from birth to 18 years of age. And a lot of parents are going past that 18 mark. That's a quarter of a million dollars that your mom and dad, your dad, your dad could have bought a Ferrari instead of having you. <laughs> Man, your mom could have had an unlimited shopping experience on Fifth Avenue, but they wanted you. And all your friends have invested in you as some adolescent emotions. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh here today, but guys, here's the deal. You, ex you hold me accountable to tell you the truth. That's why we have New Spring. This is not a traditional church. This is a, this is a straight talk place. Let me just say this. I believe it all starts with listening to our parents. And, and, you know, New Spring, there's a bunch of us here that are 35, 40, 50 years old. We're just now beginning to put the pieces of our life back together. And we could tell a lot of young people here today it all started out when we just didn't listen to our parents. If only we'd listen to our parents and our grandparents and our aunts and our uncles and our, and our coaches, see. 
but we didn't listen, and we hit the wall, and now we're just beginning to put the pieces back together. Well, <laughs> we also learned this, you know, I said that the first thing about people with attitude, they don't want to listen to the right people. Actually, they don't want to listen to anybody. In Proverbs 18, verse 2, it says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. If you want to caricature somebody with attitude, all you got to do is draw somebody with a big mouth and no ears. Because see, people with attitude, they don't want to hear you. They want to talk to you. Here's the weird thing about it. I don't think we have anybody with attitude here. It's just not a new spring thing. But in case somebody wandered in with attitude here today, it could be that somebody's listening to this talk saying, oh, Mark, you're absolutely right. There are people that just aren't teachable. Nobody's teachable in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Number two, I've met people with attitude before, and you know what happens? It's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> it's never my fault. See, here's what people with attitude don't understand. They sabotage themselves. Nobody's out to get them. They sabotage themselves. Listen, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Well, let, let's work that problem backwards. Who only harms themselves? The person who rejects discipline. Proverbs 13, 13, people who despise advice are asking for trouble. Who is it who's asking for trouble? People who despise advice. One of the most chilling verses in the Bible I like to say nobody here has attitude, but just in case anybody does, you might want to look at Proverbs 6, 14, and 15. They constantly stir up trouble, but they will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant. Here's one of the most chilling phrases I know of in Scripture. Broken in an instant beyond hope of healing. My friend, my businessman friend, I asked him a question. I said, Do you, in all your experience... Do you ever see people go from being people of attitude to coachable people? And he said, very rarely. Guys, I've tried to explain this four times already, and I don't think I've ever done it well. I'm going to try it one more time before I get through with this sermon, see if I can explain it. Do you know what the weird thing about that is? It would be the easiest thing in the world to go from a person of attitude to a coachable person. The problem is you would have to hear the coaching that says you have attitude and need to change, but the person with attitude won't listen to coaching. It would be the simplest thing in the world to change teams. But most people never do because they won't hear the coaching that says, if you have attitude, you're going to blow up your life. So that's the second thing. They sabotage, sabotage themselves. Number three, if you're in management, you're going to love this one. They are angriest when caught. For one thing, they don't even understand what the problem is. Proverbs 14, 9, fools make a mock of guilt. In other words, what's the big deal? Yeah, I mean, I blew this up. The auditors are freaking out. But what's the big deal? Proverbs 17, 12 says, It's safer to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to confront a fool caught in foolishness. Some of you in management know what this is like. You know somebody's got a bad attitude. They demonstrate all the time. And, and, and then finally the thing happens, and there's no doubt about it. There's a paper trail that goes straight to them. I mean, it's clear. They did it. You bring them in, you set them down, and you, you hope that it becomes a teaching moment. But, you know, they're angry. They're mad at you. <laughs> You're saying, I didn't do anything wrong. You did something wrong. My, my friend from business said this, and I thought this was classic. He said, they can never connect the dots that say, I got caught, I did something wrong. They can't connect those two things. 
You know, here's the strange thing about that. All of us are going to get caught. In the sense that every one of us is going to screw something up and ultimately be accountable for it. I have, you have. People with attitude get caught for doing things. People that are coachable get caught doing things. Let me give you a body language distinction between the two. Because see, here's the thing. When a person with attitude gets caught, and there it is very very clearly, paper trail, there's a trail that leads right to them. Here's what a person with attitude will do. They'll put their hands back and say, I don't know how that happened. It's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. Now, here's what all of you coachable people do when you get caught. And and clearly, you've done something wrong. You screwed something up, and you're being held held accountable for it. You will, like, hold it and look at it and say, how did this happen to me? I want to learn from this. Because this feeling of being accountable for screwing something up is so painful. I don't ever want to feel this again. What can I learn from this moment? Guys, I'm going to tell you, I've screwed a lot of stuff up, and I've had to answer for it. And those have been the most powerful teaching moments of my life because I am saying to myself, whatever it costs, I am never going to let this happen to me again. But a person with attitude can never let that moment be a teaching moment. Number four, they won't pay the price for success. There's always a price for success. It only, it only happens by accident on television. Real success has a cost associated with it. Proverbs 21, verse 29 says, the wicked bluff their way through. And then number five, take a deep breath for this. And everybody who's in management, you have a company, you have a small business, or you're in HR, you you and I need to listen to this. People with attitude, number one, should never be hired. And number two, if hired, should not be kept. People, because here's the thing, you can help somebody who wants to learn. You can help somebody who, who makes mistakes, but who's coachable. But you never want to hire somebody with attitude, and you don't want to keep, because every once in a while, somebody with attitude will cover up the flaws until they get hired, and then if they're hired, they should never be kept. And Proverbs is going to give us two reasons why you should never hire the person with attitude and why you shouldn't keep them if somehow they get through. Here's number one. Honoring a fool is as foolish as tying a stone to a slingshot. Now, I want to make sure you get the picture here. When I was a kid growing up in Texas, we used to shoot slingshots. And you'd put a rock or something hard into a slingshot, put it in the pouch, and you'd pull it back and you'd let it fly. Now, here's the thing. Imagine what it would be like if you tied the rock into the pouch of a slingshot, pulled it back, let it go. You know what it's going to do? It's going to come right back and hit you right between the eyes. How many of you in management know that is exactly what happens when you hire somebody with attitude? It comes right back and hits you right between the eyes. And then not only that, it will damage. Well, look, look at this. In Proverbs 26.10, an employer who hires a fool is like an archer who shoots at random. Now, we wouldn't use archery today. We would talk about a gun. And a person who hires a person with attitude is like someone who's shooting a gun right into the middle of your company because that person will harm the company, he will harm the clientele, he will harm the brand. And so, and you say, well, Mark, that doesn't sound very Christian to me. It is amazing what is Christian when you open the Bible and really begin to look at what it says. Because the Bible says you shouldn't hire somebody with attitude and you shouldn't keep them if you hire them. Number six, God will see to it that they lose. I could be talking to somebody here today and you say, Mark, I, 
I, I want to agree with you, but I see people with attitude who seem to advance. I, I get that. But look at what the Bible says. The Lord has made everything for his own purpose, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Now, let's, let's let go of that because we need to talk about winners. That's who we have here today. we got coachable people. So what are the six things? What are the six characteristics of the coachable? Here's number one. They are desperately seeking help. A few moments ago, we read that a person with attitude resents correction. But listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 10.8. The wise are glad to be instructed. Hey, if I invite you to lunch and you're sitting across the table from me, this happens at New Spring with friends of mine, it's not going to be long before I'm going to be asking you questions. I want to learn. Here's why. If I take a smart person to lunch with me and I ask questions, I can learn what he has taken a lifetime to learn in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. I can learn life lessons from a person who has learned through the school of hard knocks. I can pick up what the conclusions are from that experience without going through the hard knocks. Instruction, coaching, correction is the best bargain out there. If you listen to people, you will get wiser and you will know what they know. I, I discovered that when I, I had a chance to have lunch recently with one of the greatest leaders who's ever worked in Wichita. He's a major player all over the world. And there's a book, an autobiography that he's written about his turnaround successes with some of the greatest corporations in America. I, could, I read his book. I couldn't wait to have lunch with him because I thought, I've got all these questions I want to ask him about. His, it was like sitting down with history. You know what? Every time I ask him a question about whatever he'd experienced, he just kind of gave me a short answer. He'd turn around and ask me a question about what it was like to pastor a church. See, he'd never turned a nonprofit around. And I thought, here's one of the most brilliant men in the nation. He's, he's the chairman of the board of a major corporation who's about to catch a plane, go to China the next day. And I'm thinking, here he is. He is picking my picky, you know, my tiny brain. That's the thing about coachable people. See, coachable people want to learn. They realize that coaching is the best bargain out there. Number two, coachable people are always growing. Let me read this to you from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32. If you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. I think you could even shorten that down and say, if you listen, you grow. You know, I've been fortunate through the years not to hire very many people with attitude, but here's what I've learned when I do. When you hire them, they're right here. You come back a year later, they're right here. You come back three years later, they're right here. You come back five years later, they're right here. They just don't ever go anywhere. On the other hand, I've hired some people that didn't go to college. I've hired some people that didn't have a scintillating educational background. Maybe weren't the most talented people in the world, but they listen. And they start out down here, but three years later, they're here. And five years later, they're here. And seven years later, they're in the stratosphere somewhere. And people are calling them all over the country asking for advice. Why? Because coachable people grow this is why if you're coachable, you walk into the marketplaces of life with a plus beside you because you're always developing. Number three, I'm going to mention a word, and if you're a coachable person, you're going to have a particular attitude toward this word. And if you are a person of attitude, you're going to have a particular feeling about this word. Okay, ready for the word? The word is loyal, loyal. See, here's the thing. If you're a coachable person, you have a good feeling toward that word. If you're a person with attitude, you have a bad feeling toward it. 
Listen to what the Bible says. Loyalty makes a person attractive. Loyalty. See, here's the thing. If you want to get the best kind of mate, you're going to have to be a loyal person. If, if you want to have the best opportunities in life, get the best kind of career, you've got to be a loyal person. Listen, here's what I'm convinced of after thinking about this a lot. I don't think a person with, with attitude can be loyal. I think there, there's an endemic issue with a person who is full of attitude. That person can't be loyal. Why? Because attitude is all about self. And people that are all about self are never loyal. I don't think a coachable person can be disloyal because they have walked down an intellectual trail and this is what their mind tells them. It goes like this. There's a progression. A coachable person says, I want to be great. I'm not talking about rich and famous. I just want my life to make a difference. The only way I can be great is to be part of a team because nobody can be great by themselves. So I'm going to have to be part of a team with shared goals and shared visions. Teams have leaders. Loyalty is the glue that holds a team together long enough to achieve greatness. If I'm going to achieve greatness, I must be loyal. That's what smart people think. And so here's, here's something that you and I need to really take to heart, is that loyalty is something that leads to greatness. And if you're a person who's coachable, you know what it's like to be loyal. And loyalty works both ways. You know, um, if you're a boss, it's important for you to be loyal to the people who work for you. You know, I, I have the privilege of having a large staff here, and every Thursday morning I have Lunch. You met Michael a few moments ago on stage. I have lunch with our high school, pa- or breakfast with our high school pastor and a junior high school pastor, and they're a couple of bright leaders. And boy, they, they try to learn everything they can. But the last thing I always say to them is, "What can I do to help you win? What can I do to put you in position to win?" And I always say, "Guys, never forget, I work for you." Loyalty works both ways. Let me quickly go to the next one, which is real similar to it, and that's this. Coachable people understand authority, and they leverage that all the way to success. The Bible says this. This is so simple. Breaking it apart is like breaking a BB. Proverbs 13, 13. Those who respect a command will succeed. How complex is that? You know, guys, there's a line in this world that separates winners from losers. This is as predictable as gravity. There is a line that separates winners from losers. Winners respect authority. Losers don't respect authority. And if you're here here today, I don't think anybody's like this, but if you're here today and you say, I just have a problem with authority. Yeah, and you're always underproducing. And you always tell people, I don't know why I'm underproducing. Everybody else knows. My mom was here at the 4 o'clock service in, in the last service. And I told her, she's getting close to 90, I told her, I said, I I owe you and dad an unpayable debt because of the things that my mom and dad taught me. Prime on the list was to respect authority. In my household, the teacher was always right. I mean, if I got in trouble at school, I got in real trouble when I got home. And so it didn't really matter what the circumstance was, what I was complaining about. It didn't matter. Teacher was right. Now, did my parents really think the teacher was always right? No, but they had a larger issue at stake than a particular assignment or a particular grade. They didn't want their son to be a fool, and so they taught me to respect authority. They taught me to respect our country. They taught me to respect our elected leaders. They taught me to respect law enforcement officers. And I cannot tell you, as one of group two, the dumb and the humble, I cannot tell you how far that has brought me in life because Oh, guys, I'm out of time, but could I just tell you something? You can't just understand half of authority. 
I meet a lot of people who want to understand half of authority. They only want to understand authority when they're in charge. Can't do that. You either understand authority or you don't understand authority. And here's the thing. The person who respects a command today will be giving a command tomorrow. Oh, am I out of time again? How does this happen to me? All right, let me get finished. Number five, coachable people draw top people to themselves, sometimes even their enemies. And I'm talking to some, I'm talking to some coachable people here today. And here's the thing. You got people who love you right now who at one time didn't like you at all. But the more they got to know you and the more they got to know what you're about, you know, they'd start taking steps towards you. And now they're some of the closest people in your life. Why is that? Proverbs has it here. A sensible person wins admiration. And here's the proverb I always call the John F. Kennedy proverb. This is Proverbs 16, 7. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. When Kennedy was elected in November of 60, there was a gap of time between the November election and the January inauguration. So he went down to Palm Beach, the family compound, to spend some time in warm weather. And he brought in some national leaders, and he wanted to, well, he wanted to learn from them. And one of the leaders he brought in was Billy Graham, evangelist Billy Graham. And so President Kennedy and Billy and a couple of Kennedy's friends played around to golf together, talked. And anyway, they were, they were taking Billy back to his hotel. And before Billy got out of the Lincoln convertible, um, he, he was about to go into the door, and, and when President Kennedy called out to him, he said, Billy, Billy. Do you have any scriptures for me that will help me? And Billy Graham gave Kennedy this scripture. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. And after he went to the hotel, Kennedy loved that. And, and, and he said to, I think it was Dave Powers, his friend, he said, boy, we could use that. <laughs> we made some enemies in this campaign. He said, we could use that. And so can you. See, when you are coachable, you are attractive and you draw people to you, even sometimes people that don't like you at first. Finally, let's end where we ended in opposite to the person who has attitude. Now the person who is coachable, God will see to it that they will win. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. In other words, the person who is teachable, God will give that person even more than they deserve. I'm three minutes into overtime. I've got more to tell you. I wish we could talk another 20 minutes. But let me just close here. Guys, in my lifetime, I've had the privilege of meeting some truly great people. Now, I've met important people and powerful people. but I'm not necessarily talking about that. I've had a chance to meet who I thought were some of the greatest people in the world. I never met one truly great person who had attitude. The irony is, I discovered that the truly greatest people I ever met were always people who were very coachable. I don't have time to tell the story, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm a pastor. If you're an attorney, you're going to think about whoever you think is the greatest trial attorney in your life or, or whatever. If you're a doctor, you may think about the greatest surgeon, whatever. But I'm a pastor, and I've lived my life looking at pastors. I always felt that in my lifetime, the greatest pastor in America, and he passed in 2005, but I always thought the greatest pastor was a guy who pastored in Memphis named Adrian Rogers. Adrian pastored a church called Bellevue. Now, you got to realize Leaders of all, church leaders of all denominations, when Adrian Rogers talked, he was like E.F. Hutton for all you old timers. We all listen because Adrian was just like the voice of, 
It's like his, 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 his voice was like God's, you know. I don't mean really like God, but I mean it was awfully deep. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just listen. And Bellevue, his church was the gold standard of churches. I mean, if you walked into Bellevue, everything was going to be excellent from stem to stern. I mean, they did, they did seasonal performances at Christmas, Easter, Fourth of July. Well, way over a million people. Attend. I mean, it was just phenomenal what Bellevue was. Somehow I wound up getting in his orbit. And uh, I was speaking in Ohio, I think it was, and back in the days of Northwest Airlines, I had to fly through Memphis on my way home, and he heard about it, and he asked me to have lunch with him. And he had a little, he had a little uh, dining room outside his office, and so it was just he and I, and we sat there, and, and bless his heart, I finally had to end it. He had stayed there all day. We were there three or four hours. And in the process of time, he told me about something. Now, many of you will know Rick Warren as the author of Purpose Driven Life. But Rick wrote a book before he wrote Purpose Driven Life that really was controversial and made lots of people angry. He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Church. And he pointed out a lot of the issues with churches. And boy, I'll tell you what, it hit the fan. So Adrian and I were sitting there at the office and we were in, 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 his, in his dining room and we were talking about Purpose Driven Church. And here's what he said to me. And listen, he's about 68 or 69 at the time. He said, Mark... I read Purpose Driven Church, and he said, you know, I don't agree with everything Rick said, but he made me rethink everything we do at Bellevue. Now I'm thinking, this is America's pastor at the gold standard of churches, who's 68 years old, 69 years old, who knows what to do, and yet he said, I read a book that made me rethink everything we do at Bellevue. See, that's what the great people know. Great people know that success, and this is the thing I've discovered, the greater they are, the more coachable they are. Well, guys, I should have waited several weeks to give you this, but I wanted you to be able to ride your bike in the sunshine. Thanks, God bless. I'll see you next week.